The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Psalms. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Uh, one of the joys that I have as a pastor uh, is doing marriage counseling. I love to do marriage counseling. It's something that I really enjoy. It's fun for me. Um, it's, it's a process in which uh, we take a young couple that is engaged, that is planning on getting married. That's a big, big thing that you need to plan on getting married in order to enter into marriage counseling with us. Um, and my job is simply to be a facilitator here. So I have the couple meet me and I'm just going to ask simple questions. So the way that I do marriage counseling is we have like a, a topic for each week and I send them home with some homework in which they fill out a bunch of questions and then we gather back and they just kind of answer the questions with each other. I ask them on the very first session though a very simple question that is actually not a really simple question. I ask them, what is it? about your future spouse that makes you want to marry them? What is it about your future spouse that, that, that you say, I want to marry that individual? What do you love about your future spouse? I think this is a question that as married people, we should continue to, to be able to have an answer for. Our answers will also most likely change over the course of our marriages. And if you're single in the room today, this question is not far from you. This is actually a question I think you should be, begin to think about now. What would I love for my future spouse? What about my future spouse will I love? When I ask the question of, of why, why do you love your spouse? I'm hoping to hear certain things. I'm hoping to hear about the things that last, the things that will endure. I want to hear responses that aren't tied to physical appearance. Uh, they're not tied to the great gift giver of this individual. They aren't tied to the financial situation of this individual or their great job or even the way that they look at you. I want to hear about a love that's there even whenever these things are removed. Whenever these outside circumstances have changed, I want to hear about that type of love. Why do you love your future spouse? It's an important question that helps me hear the matters of the heart of these individuals. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 116. This text here describes to us who God is, and it shows us our reaction to these truths. If, you're in Bible, if, if your Bible in Psalm chapter 116 has these titles, it might say, as mine does, I love the Lord. That's the title that uh, the publisher has cho chosen to place on this psalm. I love the Lord. This heading, it, it gives us an idea of what the psalm is going to be about. And it's my hope that this morning we can answer the question of why. If we were to stop right now and I ask you a question first, do you love the Lord? And you responded with a yes, how would you answer the next question? Why? Why do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord because of the great gifts he gives you? Do you love the Lord because you were raised in a family or a church that told you you should love the Lord? Is your love of the Lord based upon things that can be taken from you? This morning, my hope is that we will all walk out of here 
being able to answer the question of why. Why do you love the Lord? This morning, we're going to break up our time into three different sections here within the text. Within each portion, we see a reason that we should love the Lord. And then we're going to see our response because of this reason. If you're a note taker or a Bible writer, the way that I'm going to break it up is to look first at verses 1 and 2. Then to transition verses 3 through 11 and end verses 12 to 19. So let's begin. The psalmist here begins with verse 1 with the exact question that we're trying to answer. Verse 1 of Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Why is it that the psalmist loves the Lord? He simply writes, he loves the Lord because he has heard his voice and pleas for mercy. The first reason we see as to why we should love the Lord is because he is the God who listens. The psalmist says that God has heard and has inclined his ear towards him. What does this action mean here? If I were to take my cell phone in our modern days, I think this is the perfect example. If I were to take my cell phone, turn it off, and place it face down and have a conversation with you. This is something that in our society means a lot. What it's saying is, I'm, I'm going to remove all outside distractions and I'm going to focus upon you. I care about what you're saying. I am going to incline my ear towards you. It is a physical act that shows that we care and we desire to listen. We are inclining our ears. How much greater does our God love us? God isn't passive in this action, but is actively inclining his ear to hear his children. What does this mean for us today then? First, God is still present, he is active, and he is listening. One of the, the biggest struggles I have within my own walk with Christ is this exact fact here. I continually have to remind myself of the close and the personal God. I oftentimes struggle with prayer because I struggle with the idea of a God who loves me enough to listen. This is my own struggle that I continually have to battle. If you want to know how to pray for me, this would be a great, great avenue that you can pray for me. I continually must seek the active and the personal God of my salvation. The way that I do this is found within our text here. At the end of verse 2, the psalmist gives us his response. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. God is eagerly awaiting us to call on him. Prayer is something that we need to continuously be focusing upon. And as a church, we try to make prayer something that isn't simply an addition to but is part of our normal routine. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but our elders in church here, we meet twice a month. So we meet once for business, if you will, things that we need to discuss. And the other time that we meet as elders is simply for prayer. We simply gather together and spend anywhere from, I think the shortest meeting we ever have is like two hours up to four hours praying. And it looks different each time. Sometimes we take our, our active list of people within our church and we pray through that. We pray for you. 
Other times, we take some pressing needs that we have within our church, some possible big events that we have for our church. We take our, our next sermon series and begin to pray for that. As elders, we consider this a huge part of what we should be doing is praying together. We also, as a church, have prayer nights. Every few months, about every two months or so, we gather together as the church to simply pray. As a plug, our next one is September 14th. If you are interested, go to sonicbible.com slash register, and you can sign up right now as I'm talking and register for our next prayer night. We consider this to be a huge avenue of who we are as a church. We serve a God who cares, and he desires to be connected to us, yet we often don't take advantage of this opportunity. We said at the beginning of this year as a church and had two sermons which were dedicated to prayer. We did this to establish our foundation, our foundation of prayer. We desire to be a people devoted to God in prayer. For me personally, prayer is both my struggle as well as my relief. I struggle to know that God is present and active, yet it is through prayer that I am reminded of the present and the active God who cares deeply for me. The first reason we're to love God is because he listens. Out of that, then, our reaction should be to speak to the God who listens. We accomplish this through prayer. Let's look at some other scriptures which show us this truth. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. 1 John 5, 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And last one, Psalm 66, verse 16 through 20. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I'll tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. We get the opportunity to serve a God who loves us. Our God is personal. He is active, and he cares for us deeply. He demonstrates this to us by being a God who listens. Our response to this should be the same as the psalmist has in verse 2. We should call on him as long as we live. We should call on the God who listens. Within each one of these sections, I will end with a practical way or a practical resource. I am a guy of practicality. Uh, I think in practical terms. You can create a great vision, and I'm going to be the guy that pokes a ton of holes and says, let's think, how is this actually going to work out? That's what I'm known for on our church staff. You present a great vision, and Craig's going to crush it. That's me, okay? I'm the practical guy. So to end each one of these sections, let me go through some practical resources. One that we've, we've mentioned a number of times, I think this is probably the third or fourth time, is praying the Bible. 
This is a tremendous book that walks through how to pray the scriptures. So it walks through, you go through a psalm, uh, and you simply are praying the psalm back to God. It has been a tremendous resource for me personally, and a guy that struggles with prayer, this is a tremendous resource. Uh, Another one that lots of people use whenever it comes to their prayer life is a prayer journal. Uh, Instead of speaking or vocalizing or even internally vocalizing, as that's an oxymoron, internal vocalization. Um, they, they write out their prayers through a prayer journal. The last one I would have for you as far as the practical resources, to be around the people who are prayer warriors. Be around those people who model prayer. If we look at the disciples, we have the Lord's prayer because they simply said, Lord, teach us to pray. That's why we have the Lord's prayer. So those three again, praying the Bible, create a prayer journal, and be around people who you would like to model your prayer life after. If we continue here in Psalm chapter 116, we've established here first that the psalmist, that, that the psalmist has established that God loves us and God has listened. And he chooses now to call upon God forever. The Lord hears us. And the next section is about God delivering us. Verses 3 through 11 here give us a great picture of the toils that the psalmist has been in. Let me read again verses 3 through 11. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. The the psalmist here kind of lays out a list uh, of sufferings the snares of death, the pangs of shield, distress, anguish. He has been brought low. He has come from death. There's tears. There's stumbling. The psalmist isn't listing these out as a method of comparison. We're going to look at this and see how terrible his life was and compare our lives to his. The purpose of these is to see how great the deliverance was. If you look at each of these troubles, they're all ending in the exact same way. God delivers. Look at the way that God delivers here in the text. Let me read it again and listen to the way that God has intervened and delivered. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. What a tremendous hope that we have for our own lives. We see how God has dealt with the psalmist, and it gives us a glimpse of how he will deal with us. 
Uh, I had the privilege of growing up within the church. My parents had me in church from uh, a very young age, uh, from actually from the day I was born, pretty much my parents had me in the church. I was very blessed in this manner, and I'm very appreciative of it. This meant that I heard uh, the truth of the gospel many times as a young child, and uh, God used this to show salvation to me at a very young age. This was something that was a tremendous blessing for me, but it also caused a great amount of strife within me. I struggled with my salvation for a number of years. One of the major, major reasons that I struggled so much with my own salvation was because it didn't have the magnificence of some of the stories of salvation that I had witnessed. I didn't have the terrible past. I didn't have the drug addiction. I wasn't really that bad of a kid. There didn't seem to be the Paul on the Damascus Road experience within my own life. We, as the church, often elevate these types of stories. We categorize them as miraculous, that God would bring someone out of these situations. What we see within the psalm, though, is the true nature of salvation. It isn't the distress and the anguish that are the problem. It is death and sin itself, which the psalmist has been delivered from. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is the miracle of deliverance. The miracle of salvation isn't taking a drunkard and making him sober. This actually can be achieved outside of Christ. It happens every day within our society. The miracle of salvation isn't taking a good person and making them better. The miracle of salvation isn't taking a dishonest businessman and making him honest. The miracle of salvation is taking the dead and bringing them to life. Every believer in here has an incredible story. A story of death to life. It is in our circumstances before Christ that make our deliverance miraculous. But it is our deliverance from sin and from death itself that Christ overcame, which should cause us to praise the name of God. We must remember the majesty of salvation doesn't come in the majesty of our sin, but it comes in the majesty of our Savior. God definitely has the power to deliver us from these physical calamities, and he will at times choose to do so for his glory. There is a much greater power that the psalmist is pointing to here. In his time, it was not yet fulfilled. There was one coming who would be able to remove not only the threat of physical death, but conquer all death once and for all. Christ has now come and has defeated sin and the grave. Just as the psalmist reacts to the deliverance, our reaction should be so much greater. I once had a professor referred to the Old Testament as a dimly lit room. Everything is there, but it's hard to see and it's hard to put all the pieces together and we can't quite make everything out. Christ comes along, though, and he turns on the light switch for us. We can now see everything more clearly. The objects haven't changed but it seems to make more sense now that we can see it all. This is the power of Christ. This morning, the power of deliverance is still available. There's no sin so great that the blood of Christ cannot overcome. 
morning and evening is a, a devotional uh, by Charles Spurgeon. If I could, I'd love to read for you the morning section of November 11th. Uh, the way that the book is structured is every day there is a, a reading in the morning and a reading in the, the evening. Morning and evening, it makes sense. They give you a scripture and then he talks about it. So if I could, I'm going to read to you November 11th, the morning section. This is Charles Spurgeon speaking. God, the eternal God, is himself our support at all times, especially when we are sinking in deep trouble. There are seasons when the Christian sinks very low in humiliation. Under a deep sense of his great sinfulness, he is humbled before God until, until he scarcely knows how to pray because he appears in his own sight so worthless. Well, child of God, remember that when you're at your worst and lowest point, underneath you are the everlasting arms. Sin may drag you low, but Christ's great atonement is still under all. You may have descended into the deep distress, but you cannot have fallen so low as the uttermost, and to the uttermost he saves. Again, the Christian sometimes sinks very deeply in sore trials from without. Every earthly prop is cut away. What then? Still underneath him are the everlasting arms. He cannot fall so deep in distress and affliction without the covenant grace of an ever faithful God still encircling him. The Christian may be sinking under trouble from within through fierce conflict, but even then, he cannot be brought so low as to be beyond the reach of the everlasting arms. They are underneath him, and while thus sustained, all Satan's effort to harm him avail nothing. This assurance of support is a comfort to any weary but earnest worker in the service of God. It implies a promise of strength for each day, grace for each need, and power for each duty. Further, when death comes, the promise will still hold good. When we stand in the midst of Jordan, we will be able to say with David, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We will descend into the grave, but we will go no lower, for the eternal arms prevent our further fall. All through life and at its close, we will be upheld by the everlasting arms, arms that either flag nor lose their strength, for the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. Why should we love the Lord? We should love the Lord because he has delivered us. If you believe this today, Christian, then what is our response? What should our actions therefore be? The psalmist choose, chooses first in verses 1 and 2 to call on the Lord. His reaction hasn't changed for the second portion. He still chooses to call on the name of the Lord. Look at the simple prayer in verse 4. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. If you want to know what to pray, begin with that simple statement every day. O Lord, deliver my soul. The work, upon, the work of Christ upon the cross is enough. Let us continually be reminded of our deliverance. His praise here takes a step up. He speaks to God's grace and his righteousness and his mercy. 
Because God is the deliverer, we should recognize his grace and his righteousness and his mercy in this act. We do not deserve this. In fact, what we actually deserve is the death of Christ, suffered on our behalf. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What we have earned is death. This is what we deserve because our God is just. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yet, God has chosen to provide Christ in our place. He's the only son of God sent as a human to live a perfect life and die a perfect death on our behalf. This is why the psalmist can say that the Lord is gracious He is righteous and merciful. If you look at verse 9, we can see the psalmist's resolve. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Because God has delivered, he chooses to walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He's choosing to live his life in a way that God is ever present. To walk before God, both in good and the bad times. To walk before God no matter who is around us. If you're a different individual on Sunday than you are any time throughout the week, there's a problem. The psalmist is choosing to live his life in a worthy manner. Even when, as he says, all mankind are liars. The statement seems to actually not be about mankind, but instead is a statement about the trustworthiness of God. In whom does the psalmist rest his faith and rest his trust? It is in God alone. Where does your hope lie? Is it in the words of others or is it in the the deliverance of God? What does it mean then to live our lives in a worthy manner? The key word in this sense is obviously worthy. What is it that makes one action worthy and another not? John MacArthur says this about the word worthy. Axios, which is the Greek word for worthy, has the root meaning of balancing the scales. What is on one side of the scale should be equal in weight to what is on the other. By extension, the word came to be applied to anything that was expected to correspond to something else. Live your life in a way that shows the gospel is worth it. Live your life in a way that shows that Christ's sacrifice sacrifice upon the cross is of great meaning to you. How does your life show the great worth of Christ? In our society, there are two major areas which we can easily see value in what we find worthy. There are calendars and our bank statements. What you find of greatest worth will easily be represented in both of these avenues. If you were to print out your calendar for the last month and you were to, to take your bank statement for the last month, would that show that Christ is of greatest worth? I fear that that would show our greatest worth is ourselves. We will get to this a little bit later here in the chapter. To summarize the section, it's we should live our lives in a worthy manner because of the God who delivers. Practical resource for you. First one I'd give to you is, is Randy Alcorn, the treasure principle. It's a small one. Randy Alcorn's the treasure principle. It's, it says unlocking the joy of, or unlocking the secret of joyful giving uh, is the title of it. It's a whole lot more than just financial in that. Um, it's, it's, honestly, it's unlocking the secret of joy is kind of how I would rephrase it. Uh, but it's a tremendous resource. Another one, I don't have it up here, but Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Uh, it's a tremendous book regarding missions and 
not just missions as we think of them as an oversee concept, but missions here as well. The other thing I'd say is evaluate your calendar. Evaluate your bank statements. Have a family meeting to reprioritize your life. For some of you, uh, it might mean that you sell everything and you head out into the world as missionaries. Praise be to God. For others, it might mean that your interactions at work might change. To live a life that is worthy, we should continually be taking the next step towards Christ, the one who is worthy. What is your next step of obedience as a believer? We've looked at a God who listens and the God who delivers. We have seen our responses to call upon God and to live our lives in a worthy manner. This draws us to our third and final section, verses 12 through 19. Let me read them. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious is the sight of the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. God is deserving of our praise. Verse 12 asks a question which shows us the setup for the remainder of the chapter. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? There's an implication within this question, and that is that God has granted us benefits. That should be obvious at this point in the text. We've seen a God who is active, who is caring, who is personal, who loves us and is listening. We serve a God who delivers us from death when the only thing we deserved was death. Because of these two facets alone, we serve a God who deserves our praise. There's so many benefits that God has bestowed upon us. If we were to go around this room right now and think of all the good and perfect gifts that God has given us, we would hopefully still be here next week covering the many things in which God has given to us. This might be a tremendous exercise for you to do this week. The remainder of this chapter here is looking at the psalmist's reaction to the God who deserves praise. If we could do a quick survey regarding the psalmist's reaction to God, it would be to lift up the cup of salvation, to call on the name of the Lord, to pay my vows, to be a servant, to have a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and ending, praise the Lord. These are the things that the psalmist mentioned regarding what we should render to God who deserves our praise. He has some specific things listed here, but if I could summarize it into one statement, it would simply be to worship the Lord. We should worship the Lord who is deserving of our praise. This section has quite a few Jewish references that you might not be familiar with. Uh, The point isn't necessarily the Jewish traditions that are within here, but the reasoning behind them. The first here, though, is the cup. Lifting up the cup of salvation and the cup of thanksgiving in verse 13 and 17. Numbers 28.7 is where this comes from. It mentions the cup as part of the offering. It was to be poured out on the altar, and it was part of the sacrifice that was given. The cup of salvation would be a reminder to the sacrificial system. The psalmist is referring to taking this cup and praising the name of the Lord. This cup is a representation of grace and of mercy. It's directly tied 
to the forgiveness of sins through the sacrificial system. What would it look like today for us to lift up the cup of salvation? It's to lift up the name of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's to proclaim the grace of God that is found through the sacrificial blood of Christ. Let us take a long drink of the cup of grace this morning. As we've just celebrated communion, may we be reminded of the grace bestowed upon us. May we be a people that are constantly lifting up the name of Christ. He is worthy of our praise. Communion is a great representation of this. It's both an inward and an outward display of grace. It's inward when we drink from the cup or when we dip the bread in the cup. It's a reminder to us of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. But it's also outward. It's a display of the grace of Christ upon the cross which saves sinners. May we lift up the cup of salvation high. I will pay my vows to the Lord. The statement is given in verse 14 as well as 18 and 19. It's stated here twice. We're unsure of what these vows mean, and partly because we're unsure of the writer of this psalm. Ultimately, just as with the Jewish traditions, it doesn't really matter what the vows are. What matters is that they were made to God, and the psalmist is going to fulfill them. And how he fulfills them? Publicly. What does this mean for us? It means that what we have covenanted with God about, we should fulfill. The biggest of these is the gospel. Christ has purchased you. What is your response to the question stated in verse 12? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits through me? Go through with it. Do it in a way that honors God. The last piece that we see in this text is found in verse 15 and verse 16. We see the why given here at the very end. Let's look at the end of verse 16 first. The Lord has loosed the psalmist's bonds. What are these chains or these bonds that he's referring to? These are the bonds of sin and of death and hell. For believers, these bonds have been broken. They're no longer chains that we wear, but chains that Christ has placed upon himself, and he has broken. The weight and the punishment of sin is now removed. They have been placed upon the back of the one who did not deserve it. It was placed upon him in the form of a wooden cross, and he carried to the top of the hill. He carried our burdens up that rugged hill after he was beaten. He placed himself upon that hill, and he willingly climbed upon that cross. Through his death and his resurrection, he broke the chains of bondage and of sin and of death and hell all at once. This is why the psalmist reacts in the way that he does in verse 15 and 16. Because Christ has released him from the bondage of sin, the psalmist chooses to place himself in the bondage of Christ here. He chooses to become a servant of the Most High. The psalmist has not quite realized this. He's living in an age before Christ. Yet, his statement still is true for us today. He's pledging his allegiance and his life to an unknown Christ, to the Messiah, to God. This is the ultimate response of praise. What rights does a servant have? He has none. He is simply at the call of his master. As Christians, we choose to become servants of Christ. What is it that he is calling you towards today? This is an easing an easy or a comforting thought to be a servant, especially if you pair it with verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. 
There's death mentioned here. The thought of death, though, isn't the end for a servant of Christ. By choosing to become a servant of Christ, we're giving him our lives and our deaths. This is the ultimate praise of God. We should worship the Lord who is deserving of our praise. For each of us, this might look differently. A great place to start, though, would be through the first section, through prayer and living our lives in a worthy manner. By joining with us this morning at Stone Oak Bible, you join us in worship of the Lord. Sunday mornings are a time where we gather as the church to express our worship to God. Why do you love the Lord? What is it about God or what is it about you that causes you to love the Lord? We serve the God who listens, delivers, and is worthy of our praise. May we be a people who worship God through our prayers, our lives, and our praise. Pray with me this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we first this morning, Lord, we are a grateful people that you do listen. Father, we thank you that you are active. Father, that you have inclined your ear to us. And Father, we thank you that you we are thankful that you care enough for each one of us individually, Father, to hear our prayers. Father, we thank you that you are the God of deliverance. Father, that you had a plan from the beginning that was fulfilled in Christ. Father, that you have redeemed your people through your son. Father, I pray that we would live our lives in a, life, in a way that is worthy of that sacrifice, Father. And Lord, we, we thank you that you are a God who is worthy of our praise. Father, may we be a people who are continually praising you. May everything that we do from our prayers to our lives, Father, be a reflection of your grace and your mercy upon us. Father, we ask that you forgive us where we fail you. Father, I pray that we would be a people that are continually reminded of the cross, Lord. Father, it is in Christ's name that we pray this morning.